Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 138. I'm really excited about today's guest because we're going to talk a lot about base running, defensive versatility, speed development, multi-sport participation, um, really important stuff for a lot of the young athletes um, that, that are listening to this podcast, as well as their, their parents and coaches. Um, this is an awesome guy who I got to know training this offseason, who's with us um, at CSP Florida you know, during the offseason and into the lockout. Got to see him go about his business each day. And it's actually a really cool story just because he's a guy who had to, to grind his way through the minor leagues to get an opportunity at the major league level. And he, he did everything the right way. So lots of good lessons to learn. Hope you enjoyed as much as I did. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states, on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exercise or life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where Athletic Greens can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. And that's why I use it daily and recommend it to our athletes. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid in digestion, recovery, and supporting of a healthy immune system. This all can happen without taking multiple products. While most nutritional products come to market and stay stagnant, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 improvements over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit on the planet. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. They put 75 ingredients to the NSF for Sport certification to come up with a formula that's trusted by some of the world's best athletes, including our own. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners 10 free travel packets with their subscription. Simply go to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy to receive my offer. These travel packs are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health when you're traveling for games, training, or simply when you're on the go. They can be a great counterbalance to less than ideal on-the-road food options. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance to get nutrient diversity, then head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and get your 10 free travel packets today. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. Today's guest is a utility player who was born and raised in Michigan. He was drafted in the 28th round of the 2008 MLB draft by the A's, but opted not to sign and instead attended Bowling Green University. There, he set single-season records with a 423 batting average, 93 hits, and six triples. His 17 career triples were also a record. He also played collegiate summer baseball with the Brewster Whitecaps of the Cape Cod Baseball League before being drafted by the Blue Jays in the 18th round of the 2011 MLB Draft. He persevered through 800 career minor league games and a brief 2018 trade to Cleveland before being traded back to Toronto two months later. He made his MLB debut with the Blue Jays on September 26, 2018, and became a free agent that winter. After that time, he signed with the Miami Marlins, where he's established himself as a mainstay in their lineup while playing third base, shortstop, second base, and all around the outfield. 
At the time of this recording, he's played in 294 career Major League Baseball games, and he's currently leading all of Major League Baseball in stolen bases in 2022 with 37. Please welcome to the show, John Birdie. John, thanks so much for taking the time. I'm really excited to have you on the show. We're, we're probably long over to do this because I know you've got a, a ton to share. So thanks for jumping on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Um, so I'm always fascinated. Actually, we just had Mike Brousseau on, mm-hmm. um, who I know you interacted a little bit in the facility. And you guys have a similar history. You're both like Midwest guys, yeah. cold weather climates. So you've got things rolling. And he had some interesting insights. And I'm, I'm curious if you kind of follow the same track. Were you a multi-sport athlete coming up in Michigan? Yeah, absolutely. Um, growing up, I played anything and everything. But um, in middle school, one year I even played, I played basketball, football, baseball, and hockey. Um, but then when I got to high school, um, my dad kind of was like, hey, you only got time for a couple. What uh, what sports do you want to choose? And it was an easy choice for me. Baseball and hockey were kind of um, the sports that I loved the most and, and kind of excelled at. So played that through high school until – Right before my senior year, um, I was pretty good at both sports, so kind of had to make a decision on what I wanted to do moving forward and uh, chose baseball from there just because it was it was my first love. You know, I always say that, like, and I've heard stories about, like, hockey players being the most locked-in professional athletes. Um, like, you never see a sloppy hockey player. Like, body fat percentage predicts, yeah. like, NHL yeah. success. Yeah. But I'm curious if this is the case for you there are a lot of like 5am wake ups for like early practices Mm -hmm. just to get ice time before that. I got to assume that that hockey background helped you a lot, even after hockey was done for you. Hockey players are a different breed, man. And, uh, you know, I was around, excuse me, I was around a bunch of them in college a little bit too, and and just kind of, uh, got to know them a little bit, but, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely makes you tougher. That's for sure. Right on. Um, so obviously, like speed has all been your your kind of your calling card throughout your career. Um, I'm always fascinated how speed happens. Like some of the, the fastest athletes I've ever encountered were like clumsy 12 year olds. And then they hit growth spurts and everything kind of like stiffened up and they they became gazelles. You know, I'm curious, was that something that has always been there or did it develop, you know, as the years passed, you, you were exposed to, you know, better strength conditioning. You obviously learned how to how to run the bases aggressively, things like that. Yeah, I mean, I've always been uh, quick, uh, never been, never really had that growth spurt, unfortunately. Uh, I've always been kind of one of the shorter guys. And um, so I've always been quick. Um, I was fast, too, for for a period, but I, I don't think it really took off until um, kind of really able to focus on it. Um, giving up hockey right before my senior year, I was finally able to actually have an off season of training, uh, worked with a strength coach and um, just helped to develop uh, the speed and strength and kind of put on some some good weight um, that I wasn't able to really do before just because basically half my year was hockey, half my year was baseball. So I didn't really have much time for to get in the gym to, to do a whole lot. So I think that definitely uh, excelled the process. And then once I got to college and was able to really focus on that going forward, it kind of took off from there. I think that's something that gets so overlooked when we look at like kids that are, you know, high school players is, you know, when they all are multi-sport athletes, you know, there may be competing man. Some of those pitchers may play basketball like right up until the day that, you know, baseball season starts. So they don't always have the most cohesive throwing program or anything like that. So you got to give them a little bit of a buffer. Did Was it a rush for you every year? Like hockey wrapped up and it was like, all right, I've got to get my swing down. I've got to, you know, switch skates to cleats. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, uh, in the off season for baseball off season. So in the wintertime, uh, our team that I, the travel ball team I played with would, you know, rent out a gym. And, you know, if I didn't have practice that night, uh, for hockey, I would be there. And so I was able to do a little bit, but, um, I mean, baseball pretty much went from April till 
you know, August and then hockey picked up right from there all the way till March. So um, it was pretty much 50, 50. Um, and I, I'm always for um, younger kids playing multiple sports. I think yeah. you learn a lot, um, a lot of different techniques, a lot of different um, body control stuff. And um, I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I think too many times kids these days may be focusing solely on a sport, which mm-hmm. kind of can make them burn out a little bit. So, um, you know, there's obviously advantages to, to having an off season, but it wasn't until I was really ready body wise to develop um, going into my senior year that the off season was really that much that more important. Absolutely. And, you know, in spite of the fact that, you know, you were, you were, I guess, spread over multiple sports, you, you were a guy that was drafted out of high school. So, so teams obviously saw something in you. Um, you opted not to sign when you were drafted out of high school and instead went to Bowling Green. I'm curious, like, was it a hard decision? You know, were there certain like key competencies that, you know, you looked forward to getting in college that you didn't feel like pro baseball would offer? Yeah. Uh, I always think about if I was even ready, um, to go into pro ball at the time, um, obviously made the good choice of going to college. Um, I was drafted in a spot, uh, kind of later and was never really offered kind of the financial compensation that I would, would have wanted to, to, to forego my scholarship. So, um, you know, I think it was a pretty easy decision. It was, um, obviously a huge, you know, awesome experience to be drafted and to go through that process and to have my name out there, which I think helped, uh, going forward where maybe some scouts had me down and, um, were able to come see me play more and develop more. But, uh, I think it was a pretty easy decision overall, just because of where I was at my, my body wise and, and mentally. I'm going to ask, this is maybe a two part question, big picture. And then I'm going to get more granulars. What, what was the biggest change for you in college? Like everybody talks obviously about living away from home and, you know, the maturity and things like that from a, like from a pure baseball, you know, development side of things, what do you think were the biggest you know, adjustments? Cause you, you were interesting in the sense that you, you actually played really, really, I mean, you hit 368 as a freshman with a yeah. 467 on base percentage. Like what was the biggest adjustment for the better that, that happened when you went to college? Um, I think it was just the continual uh, focus on, on just getting better um, in my sport. And, uh, you know, I kind of surprised myself a little bit, to be honest. I, I um, didn't really have a lot of expectations on myself going in my freshman year. I knew we had a good team um, and I was just trying to do what I could to, to get better and to prove that I could to help us out in any way and um, ended up playing really well. And, and it gave me the confidence to continue to move forward and continue to get better. And then, that rolled into my sophomore year and junior year. But uh, to be honest, yeah, I kind of surprised myself of how much I was able to kind of develop over those couple of years where I was able to really focus on baseball. So now I'm going to get more granular with it. The, the thing that actually intrigued me the most is I, I stalked your, your college baseball <laughs> statistics. So you're 09, 10 and 11 at Bowling Green. Yeah. As a freshman, you played 46 games, um, you know, 467 on base percentage. So you're on a bunch as a sophomore, 54 games, again, 42 on base percentage as a junior, 46 games, 46 on base percentage. You stole nine bags and got caught stealing twice as a freshman. And then sophomore year, you stole 29 bags mm-hmm. and uh, got caught six times. And then junior year, you got you stole 19 without getting caught. So like clearly there was a big time evolution for you from a, a pure base running standpoint, like where I assume it was green light whenever you had it. Was that just... I'm fast and I need to get comfortable. Were there actual competencies that you picked up with respect to everything from pregame scouting of how you evaluated opposing pitchers and catchers 
Was it learning to run the bases? Like what made you into an elite base stealer over the, cause nine, nine bags and two steal, caught stealing as a freshman doesn't blow anybody's doors off <laughs> going out and swiping, you know, well into double digits with a really high success rate, obviously is a difference maker for a team. So what was it? Yeah. So I think honestly it was, um, it was continuing to learn um, how to steal bases, obviously yeah. getting good jumps, good reads, understanding what you're looking for. Um, I think my freshman year, I was just kind of gaining the trust of the coaching staff. Um, I don't think I had the green light as often as um, as I did definitely my sophomore and junior year. Um, my junior year, I actually dealt with a hamstring injury a lot of the year. So that is really why I didn't run much early on um, in my junior year. And then once that kind of – I played through it just because, you know, I just want to keep playing. So um, once that kind of finally – healed up and I felt confident with that, then I was able to kind of push the limit. So I really think I would have had a lot more bags my junior yeah. year, if not for that. But um, I think it's just, yeah, understanding that I was fast and understanding that the situations in the game of, of when to go and and that, that process probably started probably my sophomore year in, in college and really started to kind of take off from there. That's that's interesting stuff. So, you, you know, fast forwarding, you obviously were drafted um, by the Blue Jays. And you came up at an interesting time, like you were kind of like right between a couple generations where, you know, to be honest, speed was kind of undervalued, I think, you know, mm -hmm. between, you know, 2010 and probably just the last couple of years, you know, everybody was falling in love with homers and exit velocity yeah. and, you know, it was the quickest way to, you know, to impact the game, you know, for better, or for worse. So I'm, I'm curious, did that make it hard for you to like stay true to who you were as a player where speed was such a valuable asset, both, you know, offensively, but then also defensively being able to go to, to various positions because you were athletic enough was, were there ever times when you were like, I just need to sell out for the dream and start hitting more homers? <laughs> uh, honestly, the thought definitely crossed my mind from time yeah. to time. Uh, just because like you said, you just see other guys moved up. They, you know, yeah. didn't value the speed or versatility as much. I feel mm -hmm. like even five, 10 years ago, um, guys who could play multiple positions were kind of considered guys who yeah. couldn't play every day at a, yeah. at, at any position. So it was kind of almost, looked down on a little bit, you know, and undervalued. Whereas now it's, it's a huge asset to, to teams and they're finding ways to use it. Um, yeah. It was like Ben Zobrist and like Ryan Flaherty kind of yeah. in a lot of ways. 100%. Before that, if you're a utility guy, it just meant you were a bench guy who would fill in every now and then. Now mm -hmm. a utility guy is like, you can play every day, but you might be playing every day at a different position. So yeah. um, to answer your question to stay, yeah, it, it was tough at times, um, you know, feeling like I could hit for power if I really tried to, or really sell sold out to, but understanding that my best asset is my speed and, and being able to get on base and, and create runs that way. So um, I'm glad I stayed true to myself. Obviously I've made some, some changes and, and tinkered with some things offensively from a hitting standpoint, but um, glad I stayed true to, to who I was. <laughs> I think, you know, it's, it's also interesting. We have so many things that we can track, right? We can look at your sprint speed. We can look at your success rate on the bases. We can look at, you know, catcher's pop times and how quick pitchers are to the plate. There are things that we can't track. And, you know, you know, the, obviously the classic example of is like, what's the impact that a player has on, on teammates around him. So you, you talk about positional versatility, like you being able to go from short to center field to second to third, like it's giving somebody a day off their feet. Maybe it gives yeah. them an opportunity to DH or something like that where they otherwise wouldn't have. But I think that when it comes to base running too, is like, it's, it's impossible to calculate what having you on first base does to a pitcher as he 
faces the guys behind you in the lineup. Like speed is obviously a massive distraction. It's probably going to become even more of an asset next year. You know, when, when the yeah. pickoff attempts are limited, like, yeah. is that something that it's ever been openly discussed, you know, like by, by players who have hit behind you, like, are they a, appreciative of how much of a difference maker that can be? Yeah. Um, I've had some guys tell me some, I had a, uh... 2019 um uh, one of the better compliments i think i ever got was starling castro said if if i was hitting in front of him all year he'd drive over 100 every year so uh you know things like that but yeah i mean there are times too where i'm in a situation where the pitcher might be a little quick or you know my legs aren't feeling that great where i'm like you know what i'm not even going to go here but um just being on first base and making it look like i might want to steal the base hopefully distracts the pitcher a little bit or enough to make him, you know, lose some focus on the hitter where he might miss out over the plate a little more than than he normally would, and we can take advantage of that. That's interesting stuff that I think is underappreciated. Um, I, I'm interested. You you know, so you struggled to break through to the to the big leagues of the Blue Jays. And they, at one point, they actually traded they traded you to the Indians, I think, for, for two months and then they brought yeah, you back. Traded in. back. Yep. <laughs> and then you've, you've, you've obviously, you know, you've thrived as a Marlin. Um, when you look back on it, you know, did the, did the Jays miss on you or did you did you need to take a step forward in your development, you know, over the course of your time in Toronto to, to get to the point where they, they finally gave you that opportunity? Yeah, I've, I've been asked this question uh, quite a bit. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, I don't know how I would have done in the big leagues at the age of 25 or 26. Um, I would like to think I would have figured it out, but um, maybe there were still some things with my swing and a, a few things that I needed to critique and, and continue to develop. But so at that part of it, I, you know, I think maybe I was, you know, getting to the big leagues at 28 was probably the best thing for me, but mm-hmm. at the same time, maybe, you know, the Jays could have, you would hope they would see the type of player I was, the type of clubhouse guy I was to the continual, you know, development that I was, I was going through that they, you know, maybe would have seen that and wanted to hold on to that a little longer. So I think it's a little bit of both, but, you know, I wouldn't trade my journey for, for anything. I think uh, it's developed me into the, to the player I am and to the person I am. So, um, you know, it's been a fun, fun, wild ride. That's for sure. It's not done yet either. So, um, Let's talk about the art of baseball speed. To be honest, I don't. I think you know we're 130 something episodes into this podcast, and and I'm not sure that we've had like a really really good candid discussion about like running in baseball. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, uh, we've talked about why we don't like distance running, but not as much about why running fast is cool. <laughs> so let's start with the art of baseball speed. Um, we know there are fast guys who can't steal bases. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they're the guys that get thrown out once and they get super gun shy. Yeah. And then there are slower guys who are elite base runners. Um, you know, like I've seen guys who aren't great runners who, you know, do amazing things with respect to first to thirds and stuff like that. And you're a fast guy who obviously thrives on the, the base as well. Um, and I actually looked this up last night. You're in terms of stat cast sprint speed, you're, you're the 28th fastest big leader. So on average, you're the fastest guy in your team, but you're currently leading major league baseball in steals, even though there are guys that actually on average run close to two miles mm-hmm. per hour faster than you. Um, and I, I think there's really something to be said for that because um, effectively you're doing it at, at a lower level of risk, right? Guys who run yeah. the fastest are the most susceptible to hammies and things like that. So what are the, what are some of the strategies that you like to employ, you know, both in terms of physical preparation, I taking care of yourself, um, you know, pregame work, things like that. And then also like advanced scouting that you think have helped you to be, you know, as successful as you are as a base runner. Yeah, from a physical standpoint, um, definitely learned a lot over the last several years of of how to take care of my body a little better. Um, a lot more soft tissue stuff, 
um, a lot more, um, you know, hip work and mobility and stuff like that, that have definitely helped, you know, open me up a little bit more and, and keep me healthy. Um, from a training standpoint, I just kind of believe, you know, if you're, if you want to be fast, you have to train fast, you know? So, um, I'm in the, you know, I'd rather move less weight around in the gym if I'm moving it quicker and, um, things of that nature to kind of help continue that, that muscle group and that process, um, for speed wise. And so from, from that standpoint, um, you know, that's been good to continue to develop that, but, uh, from, you know, stolen base perspective, it's just about understanding who you are and understanding what a pitcher is trying to do. And, um, Keith Johnson, our first base coach, uh, does a great job with video work and some different things to help us out where, you know, I can kind of watch some video to see the pitchers move to home, his pickoff move, some different tendencies. Um, so I went, I do get out there to first base. It's kind of like, I've already run through it already. I've seen it before. I've been out here before. Um, and then from there, it's honestly, it's a confidence thing too. Like you said, even, you know, getting thrown out definitely, uh, is, is not fun and it feels kind of like striking out, you know what I mean? So, um, your ability to move past that uh, mentally and turn the page and, and move forward is, is huge. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I think we even talked about this, you know, when you came in this, this past off season, you know, this, this concept of like being strong enough and, and trying yeah. to use that force better. Um, and I think I, I learned this the most in 2020, we had that shortened season and a bunch of guys came back after 60 games and they were like smashing big weights in their first week back in the gym. Like, it's like, they didn't even have a season. It's like, all right, We've got to get creative. Like these guys got to train rate of force development. They've got to move explosive. Whereas in the past, it was a couple months to get that strength back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that's just something that opened my eyes to like some of these guys like hold on to strength really well. And you're, you're probably a great example. Like anybody about a hockey background, like not shot in the weight room. Obviously you had three years of college strength and conditioning, you, had, you know, good foundation. The Blue Jays do a solid job on the, on the minor league development side of things. Like the strength is there. So for you at age 32, like really like, we, we can spend four months trying to add, you know, 5% to what you probably have when you roll back in, or we can like train a quality in power that we know detrains the fastest, you know, like straight yeah. for, for 30 days without touching it. Power will detrain in, you know, five to seven days. You really do have to like tickle it. And baseball is weird. You can go a week without yes. running fast. If you, if you punch out, you have a day off, you have an yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those add up. So in season, will you, will you still periodically lift heavy just to kind of like, keep the stimulus going and do two sets of three, or are you a guy that likes to do pretty much everything fast once the season gets going? Um, we'll mix it in, um, kind of going a little bit of waves where, yeah, yeah. early on kind of um, moving things fast. And then we'll get into a period where we do a yeah. little bit more weight and less, uh, less reps, but then yeah. um, I don't like to do that too long personally, yeah. just because like you said, I, I feel like I maintain my strength well. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's just about maintaining that speed and quickness. Um Absolutely. And then also just tailoring that with trying not to be, especially more recently this year, playing a lot more, running a lot more, yeah. trying to just listen to my body when it needs rest, when it needs some just extra soft tissue work. And um, I think that's the balance and the tough part about, you know, 162 games is is understanding what your body needs in that yeah. moment um, and moving forward where you're not forcing something um, and then risking risking injury. Yeah. You know, like they always joke about like the, the secret knuckleball societies where those guys like all stick together. Yeah. Our, ba our base runners are the same. Like, will you get together with other guys, you know, that run a lot or, or run well and, and exchange notes on stuff like that? Well, just when you cross paths. 
Um, haven't really crossed paths too much with with. Uh, yeah, I guess to take that back, uh, talking to Billy Hamilton a little bit when he yeah. was with us. Um, Luke Williams with us right now. He runs pretty good, so we'll we'll have conversations about yeah. it. Um, different things that uh, techniques that they like to use or, or whatever. So yeah, a little bit here and there, and um, you know, anytime playing against another guy who base runs well or, or runs well they get to second and i'm playing second base you know we might have a quick little combo uh in between pitches but uh uh that's about it right on oh p- pivoting a little bit let's talk about defensive versatility um you know with you you obviously have played all over the field you know pretty much all the outfield spots and everywhere in the infield except for pitcher catcher first base um you know did you consciously make an effort to learn a wide variety of positions at a young age or was it like hey i'm a great shortstop and i'm athletic enough that they feel like they can move me around as needed which is often the case with really good high school players yeah growing up i played pretty much only shortstop um got to college and my freshman year we had a senior shortstop one of our captains one of our best hitters um so to get me in the lineup, I started playing a little left field, which at the beginning was was not ideal. Some of my college teammates will still give me give me a hard time about uh, my ability to track a fly ball back then. But uh, the more I did it uh, as the season went on, the better I got. But then my sophomore junior year, right back to shortstop. Um, when I got drafted, they said I kind of uh, looked more like a second baseman. So I played a lot of second base my first four years of my career. Really, that's pretty much all I played. Um, and then right around 2015, um, they started, well, since I was a good athlete, let's move you around. Let's try you at third base a little bit, some left field. Um, and that went well. So then from there, we kind of just kept going and, um, played a little center field. Um, Blue Jays really didn't give me much of a chance to play shortstop, which, um, you know, I understand, but that kind of always had a chip on my shoulder about that because I always felt like I could play shortstop. And so, when I got to the Marlins, they gave me a chance to to do it, and um, I did well when I when I did. So um, you know, from there, it's just been the last seven eight years of moving around to different spots, and the more you do it, the more comfortable you feel, yeah. and more confidence you get, and and the more you're able to do. How does how does the preparation come together on that? I mean, obviously, like there might be games where you have to go to three different positions, you know, certainly three to four different positions within the week. Um, yeah. You know, will you go out and take ground balls at every position? Will you will you track during BP? Like, what's your approach, or is it specific to where you're going to play that night? And you just roll the punches. So for for a long time, what I would do is, um, let's say I'm playing second base uh, tonight. I would get my work at second base, and then for group one of BP, probably hit hit in group two and then group three, maybe pick a spot left in the outfield somewhere and just read some fly balls. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next night I'm playing short. So I'm, you know, getting my work in at short. And then since the night before I got some in left, I'll go to center and track some fly balls and kind of just bounce some things off that way. And whenever I felt like, you know, I haven't gotten much work at a spot in a while, then, um, you know, I go work there, but it's gotten, it's never easy, obviously, but it's gotten a little easier as I've gotten older. So I feel like um, I don't need as much maintenance work um, mm-hmm. at each of the spots because anytime I get put into a position where it's like, Hey, you gotta go play a position you haven't played in a while. I understand like I've had success there before. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the cues that I need. I know this, you know, how to, how to play the position. And so then it's just about getting back out there and, and seeing the game from that view and um, getting more comfortable. So I think the more you do it, the longer you do it, uh, the the more second nature it becomes. And then, you know, being thrown around from, I think, one 
was it last year? I played, started a game and left, moved to third and finished the game at second. So played three different spots in nine innings. So um, doing that, you know, just gives you the confidence to continue to, to move forward. Yeah. I, I think the other thing is that, you know, we're speaking about the intrinsic stuff, like what you need to do, but there's also extrinsic stuff. Like, it's not just as simple as like a second baseman and a shortstop having like a great double play rapport. Like you mm-hmm. might go to center field and have a different outfielder on both sides of you each time you go there. So there's, there's not an element of consistency with like actually building that rapport. So is, is like even just, you know, shoring up communications with teammates and stuff like that, a big part of that prep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, playing center field, I might have, like you said, two different people on the side of me and then I play left field and it's a completely different person in center field. So, um, you just learn to to be as communicative as possible, um, to communicate as best you can with with your teammates, and um, and see how it goes. <laughs> nice. Well, we always, uh, you know, on the tail end of podcasts, we do something called the lightning round. So it's quick questions, and you can be as as involved as you want on the okay. the answers. But I'm curious, you know, I usually ask what hitters do you like to watch and why, but I'm going to expand that and I'll say, you know, what players do you like to watch and why? And it can be more than one if you like. Yeah. So hitters, I would say anytime I see video of Trout or Mookie Betts or Vladdy Jr., like I stop and watch just because I think they're so athletic in what they're doing in the box and their their moves are so good that if I can just take something small from any of those guys, um, it's going to make me a lot better of a, of a hitter. And then on the base running slash defensive side of things, other guys like you like to watch too? Um, honestly, I love watching Trey Turner run. I just think he uh, he's fast. He's He's quick. He he gets down the line well. Um, he's a pain in the ass to play against. So uh, he's someone that uh, that I definitely like watching running. Very effortless. Like so many yeah. people think you have to like just grind to run fast. Yeah. And just some, the game comes so easily to him, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, what about looking back? What advice would you give to, to yourself as a teenager? Um, just keep going. Just don't worry about guys getting called up ahead of you or or get worried about getting sent down or this or that, that if you just keep getting better, like 1% better every day is kind of my mentality. And um, over time it, it'll add up and and it'll work out. I like it. Um, what's a, what's something that you think every young baseball player should read or watch? What's, what's a resource that helped you along the way? So there was a, um, a book that my dad gave me when I was younger. It was called heads up baseball by Ken Revisa. Mm-hmm. And it actually had a lot of approach type stuff about a lot of mental stuff um, about the game of baseball that I took away from. And honestly, I feel like I need to go back and, and reread it and, and check it out and see, see how far I've come uh, with it. But uh, I think heads up baseball, they might've come out with a second one um, along the way too. So yeah, it's got some great stuff. yeah, actually Jerry Weinstein was on two weeks ago and he recommended Ken stuff as well. So yeah. Um, a lot of good stuff that stood the test of time since it was published. So absolutely. Um, um, and then over a decade in professional baseball, you've been in multiple organizations, you know, you've been in the, the private sector doing some stuff as well. You know, so I'm sure you've interacted with a lot of different coaches. Um, you know, we have a lot of coaches you know, and parents who coach um, that, that listen to this podcast. What are some of the qualities of those coaches that have helped you the most when you, when you look back on it? Um, some of my favorite coaches were, were ones that I could trust. And so obviously it's, it comes to, down to me to, uh, like communication, um, the better communication you have with, with your players, with your coaches. Um, I think it just cleans up a lot of issues and, uh, you develop that trust. And then from there, you know, the sky's the limit. So I would say communication. 
That's awesome, man. Um, and you know, you, you survived the podcast. This is outstanding. Um, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, folks can find you got Instagram. It's, it's John J O N underscore birdie B R T I. Um, and, uh, this was excellent, man. It was, it went in a different direction than I've gone with a previous one. And I think the, the base running and defensive versatility stuff is, I mean, stuff everybody can do, right? Some people are blessed with a hundred mile an hour arm, but everybody can, can work hard to play better defense, run the bases aggressively and help their team in different ways. So Absolutely. Big respect for what you've done to, to prolong your career and contribute to the teams you've been on. So I appreciate yeah. it. No Thanks sweat. for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.